0: You're listening to REGEN, formerly known as the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about REGEN, visit RiverCityChurch.us. The following sermon was originally preached during the fall of 2018. We hope you enjoy the special archival content from REGEN. Well, good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah! everybody in the house feeling alive a little bit everybody feeling like slightly dead because the semester is like halfway through not quite at Halloween yet not quite to Thanksgiving break in home feels far away but here we are how many of you guys are enjoying your classes though anybody enjoy have at least one class you have to have at least one class that you enjoy that's awesome well for those of you uh, who are new tonight or who have not been here very much uh, allow me to introduce myself once again. My name is Sam Mains. I'm the College Ministry Director at River City Church. And tonight, um, we're going we're gonna to learn from the Word of God. How many of you guys uh, are excited to learn something from the Bible tonight? Yes? Yes. We are gonna be, we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, and the title of the sermon series has been, A Striving After Wind. And we learn in this, in this series, turn to Ecclesiastes while I'm talking, if you've got your Bibles, you've got your phones, or whatever it is that you access the word of God with. This was written about one, likely around 1000 BC. Hebrew tradition attributes it to the great King Solomon. He was the richest, wisest, mostest, coolest king in the history of Israel. He, uh, he was known for his wisdom. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he was somebody who was known for uh, understanding some of the things about life. How many of you guys know that there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom? Yeah? There's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. I remember talking to uh, Christian Thompson, actually, he was the youth, the youth pastor, a uh, former youth pastor at River, uh, River City Church. Um, and I remember him talking about, we were talking about college, and he's like, you know, I've met some people who have gone through college who are still the dumbest people I've ever met. Um, <laughs> because he's like, if he ever hears this online or something, he's going to ask, why'd you throw me under the bus? But the point is this, that like, you can learn a lot and still come out not very wise, okay? There's a difference between smartness and wise wisdom, I should say, <laughs> right? Yeah, you were going to say wise It's wisdom This is actually what it is. And so tonight we're going to be learning some wisdom from the preacher of Ecclesiastes. How many of you guys enjoy good preaching? Yes. yes. Because we're going to be preaching a little bit tonight. So if I'm preaching something that really speaks to you, you got to shout out something to let me know that I'm preaching. Otherwise, I don't know that I'm preaching. So you guys got to learn how to shout back at your preachers a little bit. If I say something that speaks to your soul, you've got to say... Let it out! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wave the hankies, you know? Be like, yes, Lord, amen. Get yourself baptized one more time, you know, whatever it takes. But you guys, let's let, can we just pray real quick and, and ask the Holy Spirit to come and do something special tonight? Can we do that? Before we even, before we even read, before we do anything, let's set up uh, this atmosphere and let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Anybody want that tonight? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do that. God, come into this room right now. Enter our minds and our hearts, God. Uh, Change the way that we think. Change the way that we feel, even, God, in your presence. Uh, It says in Psalms that in your presence, there is fullness of joy. So even as we're examining things in life that might be difficult, we also recognize that wherever you are, that's where fullness of joy is. And Jesus, you said that... You would always be with us to the very end of the age. So we know that if we've said yes to you, if we've given our lives over to you, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, you are here right now. Your presence is here, and in your presence is fullness of joy. So I ask that you would do that, God, that, you're, that, you're, um, that you would make this a place filled with your joy. And in that, uh, as it says in Nehemiah, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. So I ask you, God, to enter into this moment and meet with us in this place in a special way, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. All right. So turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Last week in A Striving After Wind, we read from Ecclesiastes 5, and it was so uplifting. Um, so not, actually. Um, it's, it was really about vanity. And we talked about coming before God. You remember this? We talked about walking into the presence of God and how we should never take that lightly. Even right now, as God is coming into this room, we should never take that lightly as, as God is already here. But what we're doing is when we pray, when we set ourselves in that posture of saying, Lord, we're ready to receive from you. Um, there's a term that theologians call the manifest presence of God. And the presence of, when the presence of God becomes manifested or becomes real in the moment. And so uh, that's my goal tonight is I, I hope that we actually experience the manifest presence of God. Does anybody want to experience the presence of God in the house tonight? If, if so, so, shout amen. If not, just keep silent. Cross your arms. But hey, let's let's read this together. So this is written about 1000 B.C. And these are some of the last sayings of King Solomon, allegedly. Uh, they were probably compiled around 400 B.C., about 600 years later. Uh, and during a time uh, when uh, the, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, were, had, been, uh, had finally returned to the promised land. And they were tr- trying to rebuild their lives, trying to rebuild their culture. And so they're trying to reclaim some of that wisdom that Solomon had, some of, that, you know, some of those ancient writings. And so the book of Ecclesiastes, in Hebrew, Kohelet. You're like, how does that translate to Ecclesiastes? I don't even know. But in the, the, the Hebrew book is called Kohelet, or The Preacher. And the preacher's words were compiled so that we might be able to partake of the wisdom in them. So I'm going to read chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes, and we're just going to unpack it a little bit, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years, twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? This is God's word. Let's pray one more time. God, I ask that you would um, be here in this moment. God, even as I'm preaching, let my words be your words, God. I don't want to just say stuff that I know or things that I've studied or even just uh, the words off the page. But God, make them come to life. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak in a special way to us tonight. Uh, speak to us about purpose speak to us about meaning god speak to the deepest parts of who we are and make us come alive in christ jesus we love you god and we ask that you would speak to us tonight share something with us you are our god and we love you we praise you we worship you because you are worthy of honor and glory forever in jesus mighty name and everybody said Have you ever been hurt super bad before? Yeah, like you suffered a grievous injury, bone sticking out kind of injury, gotta go to the hospital kind of injury, had to go to the ER kind of injury, your parents are kind of mad at you because you jacked up the budget with the medical bills kind of injury. Yeah, I think just about all of us at some point get that at that point. And most of the time, what's interesting is a lot of times this happens Before you leave your parents' house, like this is like stuff that happens in childhood. Why is it that children are always getting the ones who are getting hurt? It's not like the adults who are like, you know, hey, I'm going to take my bike and jump it off this thing, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe it's because teenagers lack that, what is the development of like the hypothalamus or whatever it is that actually allows you to think through with the what? Frontal lobe. Okay, see, somebody's a biology person here. Frontal lobe. (laughs) It's okay. Maybe you've got a future in biology. I'm just going to prophesy that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. But the frontal lobe, right? See, it's the thing that allows you to actually think through consequences. Yeah, that's sort of underdeveloped when you're in adolescence and so you fail to think about things, right? Well, I remember when I was a kid, um, me and my older brother were out back behind uh, <laughs> behind our house, right? And uh, it, this is in Bonner's Ferry and there's a bunch of bark that had come off the oak tree in the back. And so my, de- my, my brother's... Uh, Got a hatchet. I'm thinking. Now that I'm thinking about it, he was nine years old, and what was he doing with? It? Anyway, uh, so I'm 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 like seven, maybe eight. He's like nine or ten, and he's like splitting like pieces of bark with his hatchet. I've got this croquet ball because obviously, like, we didn't have normal toys apparently, and I'm <laughs> this story's getting weirder the more that I tell it. But I, I'm taking this croquet ball and I'm like crushing pieces of pieces of bark. This is a great pastime of Bonners Ferry, Idaho. <laughs> crushing pieces of bark and my brother's like chopping chopping and then i'm and i'm throwing down the thing and then i reach for a piece of uh, piece of bark <clears throat> with my left hand wait yeah it's my left hand and uh i reach over and then my brother I, unbeknownst to me my brother was about to bring the hatchet the hatchet down on that piece of bark and ka-ching so it sounded kind of like a well, let's not go into the sound too bad, too much. But it was, uh, anyway, his hatchet hit my finger. Now, luckily, it was pretty dull. So actually, maybe not, because they say that blunt injury wounds are worse. But anyway, I'm, and uh, so he, he just ka my finger, okay, like cut. I don't know how deep it was, because I was so, I, it hurt so bad that I just grabbed it and was like holding it like this. Blood starts oozing out between my fingers as I'm holding it. And I'm like, ah, you know, I'm like eight years old, you know. And so what does my brother do? Well, he runs inside and then instantly, you know, he, he's like, it wasn't my fault, it wasn't my fault, like, like first thing he says when he runs into my mom, it wasn't my fault. And she's like, what is going on, you know? <laughs> so she like turns around and runs out there and uh, I'm like hunched over, just going, <sighs> <Okay>. <sighs> you know? and she's like sammy let me see so i'm like you know i show her the finger and it's every color of the rainbow red orange yellow green blue indigo violet it's all right there on this part of my finger look now if the hatchet had been sharper it probably would have just like cut my finger off and then i'd be like a little i'd have like a little short finger here but um it wasn't um so it just made this huge um gash that was horrifically colored and um, had dirt in it as well because I'd been, you know, um, messing around in the dirt. So it was bad. Um, and so we were like, well, we got to go to the emergency room. So we go to the emergency room and then they go in there and, uh, they, uh, you know, they wash up the wound and stuff and it doesn't look as bad. It didn't quite get to the bone, but it was still like, you know, we should, this is really bad. You need stitches. So I get two little stitches right there and you can still see the scar on my finger and, um, <clears throat> and everything was, yeah. And, uh, but it, it turned out okay. Um, But one of the things that we realize is like, okay, first of all, my mom was like, we're never going to the ER for something like that again, because that was ridiculous. I will sew it up myself that it was too expensive. But um, the point is this, there are some injuries that a Band-Aid ain't going to fix, right? There are some some hurts in life that a Band-Aid just isn't going to fix. And as we read through Ecclesiastes 6, we are seeing that the author of Ecclesiastes, the preacher is looking at life and he's realizing something. There are some things in life that a band-aid cannot fix. That a theological or spiritual band-aid can't fix. That no matter how much positive thinking you try to apply to the situation, no matter how much in your own strength you try to just raise up your spirits and stir yourself up, there are some things in life that that is just not going to cut it. And if you live life very long, you know that that's true. Amen? True. There's some things in life where it's okay. You can do the serious wave the hanky too. Like, mm-hmm, yes, Lord. So there's, if there's something that you've experienced in life that's been deeply painful, you know that sometimes you need a little bit more than just say, hey, everything's going to be okay. You know? Sometimes as friends we want to do that. We want to reach out to somebody and just say like, oh, man, you know, uh, you know what? It's going to be okay. You know? It's going to be all right. Um, but... That's not always necessarily the thing that we need. And so he says this in chapter 6 of uh, of Ecclesiastes. uh, There's a great evil that I've seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. And he talks about a man who receives wealth and possessions and honor. He lacks nothing. He has it all. He has a position. He has recognition from people. He has all these things. And then he doesn't even have the power to enjoy them. In other words, this could be a guy guy who struggles with depression. No matter how many good things happen in your life, sometimes it's just depressing. Because when you put all of your meaning into those things, and that's all that there is in life, you can get to the end of your rope and then realize, boy, that rope was shorter than I thought. Or maybe you even have all these things in life and you'd like to enjoy them, but you can't because you suffer from clinical depression or from something in your life that holds you back from fully enjoying um, what is going on in your life? At that point, we need to recognize that we need more than spiritual band-aids. Now, what do I mean by spiritual band-aids? What I'm talking about is sometimes as Christians, I think we tend to walk around with these certain verses on our lips as though they are the only thing that the Bible was ever written in the Bible. Right? It's all right, man. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, "Like I know the plans I have for you," declares so the Lord, "plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future." Memorize that one, yeah. Or Ooh. Romans eight twenty eight, man. God uses all things together for good. It's, everything happens for a reason. Isn't that what it says? Some, everything happens for a reason, dude, you know? And so we try to what we try to do is we try to patch up a massive hemorrhaging wound and go, hold on, I got this little hold on. There you go. How how's that feel, buddy? And it's like, well, that didn't really help a whole lot. I still am really hurting and kind of bleeding right now. A band-aid would not have helped my finger in the same way. Sometimes those spiritual band-aid verses that we use simply aren't enough to get us through the deep seasons of life, some of the deep hurts in life. But I want to tell you something. Tonight I've got one point. One of my favorite preachers, Eric Mason, he's Dr. Eric Mason from Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia. He often says this, and I'm going to rip him off. He says, I got one point and one point only, and then I'm going to get out your way. And that's what I have tonight. One point. There is purpose under the surface. It even rhymes. Whoa. Write this down. There is purpose under the surface. Under the surface, sometimes, sometimes you have to look a little harder. When you're reading through like Ecclesiastes, it's not like the, the encouraging word that you want, or whatever it is that you're wanting from God is right there at the surface, but sometimes you have to see God underneath of it. But what I love about this is even though he's talking about some depressing things, guess what? Sometimes life can be depressing. Sometimes circumstances can be hard. Sometimes things won't go your way. Sometimes it's going to be tough. But there is purpose underneath the surface. There is something that God may be building inside of you. There is a truth about God that rests underneath like a, like a, like a thread that is running throughout your life. Because God is sewing your life into the tapestry of his purposes. There is something underneath the surface for you tonight. There is purpose underneath the surface of whatever suffering, of whatever difficulty you're facing, of any kind of loneliness that you're facing, emptiness that you're facing, even the good things in life that you go, these things seem shallow, how come I can't find meaning in them? Because the purpose is underneath the surface. Amen? See, and this is why when we read Ecclesiastes 6, you go, I don't see a bright, shiny Jesus anywhere in here. Like, I don't don't see a bright, shiny, like, Verse that I can really take home and be like, "Ooh, that's really good. I'm going to use that one later on." You know, like um, that's that's a band aid I'm going to use later when I'm feeling bad. I'm like, "Ooh, I'm going to use." Nobody reads Ecclesiastes six and goes, "That's a verse I want to quote." Listen to this. This is vanity is a grievous evil. Yeah, I really want to quote that when things are hard in my life and I'm feeling down. I want to talk about how everything is vanity and a grievous evil. Yeah, yeah. Bible though. Hashtag Bible. Hashtag biblical. Um, so, you're like, so you're like how do you do this? Well he says this. Um, he's, first of all he's saying that this, this person, this person who has been given wealth and possessions he's trying to find all of his meaning in all those things but he has all those things when you strip them away and they are stripped away because eventually the person's going to die and then his wealth and possessions will be passed on to somebody else. When that happens what's the purpose behind that person's life? Right? And so then he gets, and he starts boiling things down to a really, really, really dark question. He says, if a man fathers a hundred children, now some of you guys are like, whoa, time out. That is wrong, okay? A man should not father a hundred children. I don't care, first of all, because it's not possible with one woman, okay? Secondly, that's just not cool. The whole point is, why does he say that? Because in the ancient Near East, children were considered a sign of, uh, I guess, a... Not, not, uh, well, they were considered a sign of wealth, basically, and prosperity. The more children you had, um, then that, th- that meant your family was going to be more prosperous, right? Maybe because, you know, at some point there'd be a plague and then one of them would die off, so you need to have more kids, you know, I don't know. But the point is you'd have a large family so that you could, that way, and that would make your legacy greater, right? And so he's saying you could have a hundred children. He's just saying this not as a literal point that he's making, but as a, like a hyperbole. He's like, you could have a hundred kids and it still wouldn't matter. He says this in verse 3, If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, listen to this, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Oh, not very quotable. For it, hmm, Verse 4, For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he even though he should live a thousand years twice over, he enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. Wow. Whoa. So so this begs a question. He's getting down to the, just like the nitty gritty. He's, He's going, if life, if the meaning of life is not found in life itself, then where is the meaning? Because if the meaning of life is found in life itself, the question is, is it really better to have not, maybe it's better just not to have been born at all. Right? Like you can be knit together in your mother's womb and then you can just die before you ever have to enter into all this evil and suffering. You would never... If you died before you were born, maybe you wouldn't even have to deal with racism. You wouldn't have to deal with sexism. You wouldn't have to deal with social injustice. You wouldn't have to deal with... with awkward things with your family. You wouldn't have to deal with friends betraying you. You wouldn't have to deal with a breakup, God forbid. You wouldn't have to deal with some of those things. Maybe it's just better if you, if you just skip all of that. Wow. Is it really better though? This is where we find the purpose underneath the surface. He says this, he kind of asks a semi-rhetorical question at the end, and this is kind of worth exploring. He says, even though you should live a thousand years twice over, and yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. Is it really better to, to die and not be born? Because don't we all just go to the one place? Now, this is a very, this is, this is kind of delicate, so I want to handle this delicately. But um, he's, what, is, what is he saying there? Is he saying that it doesn't matter what we do in this life because when we die, we all go to the same place? We have to understand a little bit about Hebrew culture to understand what he's saying. In Hebrew culture, uh, they, there was a word for the grave, Sheol, okay? And Sheol was the place where it was understood to be the place where everybody goes when you die, okay? Like, you go into the ground, that's, that's the grave, right? That is the realm of the dead. And what they would do is then after, this is like just in time for Halloween, right? Talking about the realm of the dead. Um, but... And, and in Hebrew culture, they would, you would once you died, you would go down to the grave and then you would await the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, when God would uh, reestablish the, uh, his, his, when God would establish his kingdom on earth. And uh, there are some, now later on, uh, some Jewish people debated whether the resurrection of the dead was really a thing or not, but some of the prophets talked about um, people rising from the dead at the end, like God would raise up people from the grave. Now. Also, we read in places like in Psalm 23, where it says that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? King David says this, I will dwell in, surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he's talking about something that happens after you die, where you go to be with God in his presence forever, which also indicates that there is also a possibility of not being in the presence of God forever. Human beings are eternal. Human beings are not designed just to... Or when he's talking about going to that one place, he's not talking about going to the grave permanently because eventually you will be... And Jesus said this, some will be raised up to everlasting life and others to everlasting destruction. Right? And so there's... I I don't want to get too deeply into the theology of this, but there's a lot of... uh, You know, A lot of people don't want to talk about the afterlife or what happens after you die because we'd rather just focus on this life. But I think that the preacher... Help me, God. This, I think that the preacher here is trying to ask this question because he's trying to, beg you to uh, get you to think about more than just this life here. Like there's, he's saying, is it, is it better just to have never died? Don't we all go to the same place? Don't we all just end up in the same place? On the one hand, you could say, well, yeah, we all end up in the grave. But then what happens, like, what happens after you die? It begs that question. And I think if you really want to know God, you need to ask that question. It's a scary one to ask, but you've got to ask the question, what happens to me after I die? And if there is something that happens to me after I die, then it it probably has a huge impact on what I do and how I live now. Right? What you do and how you live now is deeply impacted by your theology of the afterlife. If you believe... Unfortunately, a lot of Christians believe this: that if you are, uh, if you believe in Jesus, then you will be raised up. Then, like you'll die and you'll go to heaven and you'll get a pair of wings and sit on a cloud and play a harp for eternity. Count me out. That is not in the Bible. There is nothing in the Bible that says you'll have wings. Okay. There's nothing in the Bible that says you'll sit on a cloud and play. I don't even know where the harps came from. Like, I don't even know where that came from. Likewise, a lot a lot of cultural people uh, culturally people will say, well, if you're a bad person, then you'll go to hell. What's hell? Well, it's like this kind of overheated lounge where people hang out and talk about the bad things they did in life and smoke cigarettes. Like, and then like the devil hangs out and he's like, hey, hey, hey got you to go to hell. And that's like our that's like our understanding of hell. Like, it's kind of hot, but I mean, it's not that bad, you know. You know, but maybe it's worth looking at what the Bible says about that, Um, because it says in there's some amazing, beautiful things that it says, like you have to look at the very end in Revelation chapter 21. It says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Wow! That is good news. If you trust in Jesus, you will be awakened to everlasting life. That's why it says in John 3.16... That God loved the world in this way, that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish. You would not die and live for the rest of your life in eternity apart from all the goodness of God. And that's what we call hell. I don't have time to unpack that entire word, but that's what we call hell is the living in eternity apart from God. And he said that he sent his begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not suffer that but would have eternal life. You want to have life and life more abundantly that starts now and goes into eternity? Believe in Jesus. Believe in him. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes. Back into, the, back into the mud here. Okay. So he's saying, is it better not to be born? Well, there's purpose underneath the surface of what he's saying. The purpose is this. Think about your life. Think about what happens after you die. And see if that has any kind of impact on how you live and how you perceive your life now. Number two. I told you I only had one point. I do. But it kind of weaves throughout. Sorry. Numbers, uh, in verse 7, he says, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Interestingly, the word appetite there is the Hebrew word nefesh, which is the same word that is used for soul. It is like the the center of a person. Um, And really what it refers to, he's saying your appetite is not satisfied. Like your being is not satisfied with all the work that you do. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes and the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and it's striving after wind. So second, so he asks the question, is it better basically not to have stuff? There are some people who are like, bro, you just need to deny yourself, man. And just like, you know, live, like just like live for love, man. And like, those people are called hippies. Okay. <laughs> They disguise themselves as hipsters nowadays, but they're still hippies. They just take showers more often. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of Eastern meditation and Eastern religion that has found its way into our culture. And the idea is, if you just let go of possessions, man, you just empty yourself and, and let go. This is what like, what even like uh, Buddhism especially will teach this. It's like, if you let go and release your connections to the earthly, then you will achieve nirvana. And I'm not talking about the It's kind of Nirvana. I'm talking about like I feel my zen all balanced. Finally. You know, like um, It's like that perfect cup of coffee. Yet It's funny. Like, so Like, we We have this weird idea that that life is just about balance. and But he's saying, What advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving out to win. I can want as many things as I want, I can, but I will never be satisfied with those things. So this also is a vanity and a striving out to win. There's also purpose underneath the surface of this statement. I don't think that he's saying it's necessarily evil to have things. But what he's saying is like, you know what, what? What difference does it really make how much stuff you have? What, what difference does it make? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say blessed are the poor, okay? Actually, that's very important because sometimes we have this idea that being poor makes you more righteous or somehow makes you like better before God because I have less. Therefore, I don't struggle with pride or with greed because I don't have anything to be greedy with. Um, because, <laughs> I have the same pair of clothes, that, the same shirt that I've worn for the last two weeks. That makes me a holier person. No, it just means you're, makes you a smellier person and not necessarily holier. What Jesus said is be poor in spirit is what's important. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You wanna know God? Become poor in spirit. Allow yourself to be humble. Don't think that you're all that, and don't invest everything you have in possessions. Don't invest everything you have in your career. Don't invest everything you have in this life, because the truth of the matter is that your purpose lies not just in this life, but in the life that begins now and continues for eternity. Your purpose rests in God, who is eternal and exists outside of the time and space in which you find yourself. Your purpose does not even rest in the college degree, which God is has put you here for a reason to get it. Okay, don't, let's get that out of the way. But your purpose does not rest in the degree. Your purpose does not rest in the things that you do. Your purpose does not rest in the things that you have. It rests in God. Your purpose is deeper than what's on the surface. And this is an, another very, very powerful truth we find in this. Whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is, that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to Man. For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? I love, I love this. I love that he asks these rhetorical questions at the end. He's like, who knows what will happen to man? Who knows what's going to happen after the sun? Now, if we ask other people, they might try to give us good ideas, but ultimately it's God who knows it, right? So like, there's like a Sunday school answer. He said, it, is it Jesus. Yes, Jenny, it's Jesus. Good job. Here's a candy. You know, um, at least that's how Sunday school was for me. Um, so, but the third one, he's like, is there no such thing as destiny? First, he's like, is it better to live at all? Is it better to not have stuff? Is there no such thing as destiny? I thought my destiny was written in the stars. I went to a Chinese restaurant and it had like the Chinese zodiac and it said that I should marry a bear late in life. Like, I thought that my destiny was controlled by outside forces. Yeah, but it's not controlled by the universe. It's controlled by the person who made the universe. This is the important thing about these last few verses. The sovereignty of God. And let me share something with you guys that's very important about this. He says, whatever has come to me has already been named. The word there is to call out. Okay? The word there is, is, is... to call something out, to summon, to name. But what's crazy about this is he's saying something named all the things that have already come to pass. What he's saying is that there is something, there is a person behind all the events that happen in our lives who knows what those events are, what's going to happen tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. There is somebody, there is not just a mystical force, not just a, not just a Chinese zodiac, not just the, the horoscope that you find in the newspaper, not the stars, but the star breather who knows your life and everything that will happen in it. And this is good news, that we serve a God who is sovereign. Sovereignty simply means this, God reigns supreme over his kingdom. His kingdom is anywhere where he is. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's what Psalm says. That means, this is great. Because this means that everything, everything about you and your life is in the hands of God. And that he knows the beginning from the end. That's why in Revelation he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning, he is the end. He knows everything and he controls everything. God is completely sovereign over the ends and the means. Now we can debate about what that looks like, Okay. Some of you are like, well, I'm not a Calvinist, and uh, fine, you know, whatever. Um, but that's, the point is, <laughs> this guy's starting to sound like a Calvinist. It sounds like he's into predestination and stuff. Well, predestination is in the scriptures. You'll have to wrestle with that on your own. Read Ephesians 5, and we'll talk about it and do some homework. But, there's also, but we, how we grapple with that is going to change from person to person. However, the one thing that we know for sure is this, that God is sovereign somehow over all times, places, people, and events. I remember one time my grandpa came and visited us, and uh, he's, I love my grandpa, my, my dad's dad, and he's always, like, musing about scripture, and, he, and he's like, Sam, you know, the, the older I get, the more I am convinced that God is truly in control of everything. And I, and I mean everything in my life. Everything, Sam, is in his control. <laughs> and then he, he would go on and talk about it for like a half hour after that. But <laughs> that's where I get my gifted gap. But um, he w- the point is this. I love that he said that. And I, was, I thought about that. And I was like, you know, that's awesome that, that this man in my life who is like pushing and he's getting into his 80s now. He's convinced, looking back at his life, that God really is in control of every single thing that happens Do not fear your life feeling like it's out of control. It is not. Your life is never out of God's control. And that is where Romans 8.28 becomes more than a band-aid. Because when you acknowledge that life has pain, you acknowledge that life has difficulty, and that we don't understand it, then you're speaking the language of Ecclesiastes. He's being realistic. He's saying life is freaking hard sometimes. Life feels really meaningless sometimes, but I know that under the surface... There is a purpose behind all of it, and it is the purpose of God. And that is why, in the fullness of time, Jesus came at exactly the right time and exactly the right place, so that he could die in our place for our sins, so that you and I, one day, 2,000 years later, could look at the cross and say, I believe in God, and I believe that this man Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And that way, we could enter into the kingdom of God. We wouldn't have had that if Jesus hadn't died in the Middle East at that particular time, at around, you know, eighty four or 8033, somewhere in there. If he hadn't died at that time, then the word wouldn't have spread the way it needed to across roads that were built in the Roman Empire. And it wouldn't have moved across Europe. It wouldn't have exploded and and crossed oceans and gone into continents. It wouldn't have done that if God hadn't been sovereign over all of it. God is sovereign over every single thing in every single person's life. And I promise you that one day, even the things that are hard will make sense in the light of his glory. Amen. Amen. Remember that there is purpose under the surface of whatever issues you may face in your life. Let's pray. God, sometimes we struggle to see the purpose in things. Sometimes we struggle to see where you're at work or how you're working or how this is all supposed to make sense. But right now, we just want to say that we trust you. We trust you, Father, that our times are in your hands, as it says in Psalms, God. We trust you, God, that even if we can't find meaning in the things, in the day-to-day things of life, that in your presence, there is fullness of joy. That we can grab onto something deeper. That we can grab onto something stronger than anything that this life can give us. 401k accounts may fall through. We might not get social security when we're older. The relationship might not work out. The things that we want might not come to pass, but your word will always come to pass. You are a faithful God and you proved it in Jesus. So God, as we're looking at these hard things in Ecclesiastes 6, we recognize that there is a purpose underneath the surface. And I pray, God, that you give us eyes to see it in our own lives. Thank you for the good news that Jesus Christ is alive right now and that his purposes have not been thwarted by the enemy. His purposes have not been thwarted by our stupidity. His purposes have not been thwarted by the various events in history. God, thank you that you are the captain of the ship. This is your world. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me have you guys turn while JD gets up here to start, get ready to start worship. Why don't you guys ask each other this question? What is a story in your life where, looking back, you think that there's a purpose to that? Something that God did in your life where you go, that was kind of hard when I think about it, but I think God actually had a purpose in it. See if you can think of something like that and share it with somebody else. Go ahead. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Regen. If you have any questions about REGEN, feel free to shoot us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. REGEN. Changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.